Hi guys, welcome to Rolling for Change. When we did the PAX Unplugged thing in November, I was sure, I was excited, I really wanted to get this thing out quickly to you because I was so inspired by our time at PAX Unplugged. Uh, but unfortunately, life changes happened to me and to my family. Um, I have a child now and that's a, been a pretty big deal. It's changed my life tremendously and it's changed the amount of time I have to put into things. But I'm still very highly inspired by this particular uh, interview. No, it's not an interview. By this particular con, by, by our convention, our, by our experience at PAX Unplugged. It was just fantastic. I'm sure I've already said that before on previous podcasts, but it really was. It was really something new and different. Um, to have all these people talk to us. And so I can't let it sit anymore. It's just, it's gone too long. And I appreciate the patience of everyone out there who's been waiting for this one to come up. I know that I have been um, frustrated with not being able to get it out to you. So here it is. I'm bringing it to you finally. Yes. Um, so again, thanks so much for patience. We will be getting back on the stick very shortly here. Um, just when you make all these tremendous life changes, well, they're tremendous life changes, so what are you going to do, you know? Um, but still excited about board games, still excited about the potential for board games to make changes in our lives and to bring us new ways to view problems and situations and to force us into conflicts and to handle conflicts in ways that we haven't handled them before. All these things and many more is why Rolling for Change exists. And now... Without further ado, I'm going to bring you the fantastic live conversation we had on the stage at PAX Unplugged. Please enjoy, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. If we were a chorus, I imagine that uh, you'd, you'd be the bass, I'd be the tenor, and Josue would be the soprano. Oh my gosh, would you guys sing Longest Time? <laughs> oh. For the longest time. Oh. For the longest. I can't actually, I don't know all the lyrics to the song. I couldn't go any further. I'm that voice you're hearing in the heart. Oh, the greatest miracle of all bum, 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 da, da. is how you need me. And how I needed you to That hasn't happened for the longest time <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> that was an un <laughs> unexpected completely. <laughs> Ask and you shall receive. That was not in the panel description. <laughs> That's not what this panel's going to be. No. <laughs> no. Just people who love games singing to you. Woo! <laughs> 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 Welcome to the Progressive Rock board game panel. Are you ready to keep yeah, this thing? You, you can, you can, uh, okay, start? We, we can do that. I mean, okay, it's wait, 10. Wait, wait. I'm recording now. Okay. okay. I thought you were okay. recording before. No, no, I'm recording over there. Okay. Okay. Ready? Okay. We yeah. ready over there? Okay. Wait, 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 wait. I was working this. Yeah, we can start. Okay, hey everybody, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for coming oh, in so early. Yeah. This, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> this is a podcast, 
So we have, we have theme music, like any good podcast. So we're going to do that real quick. Is it? Okay. Okay, guys, welcome. Uh, good morning. This is the Rolling for Change panel. Rolling for Change is a podcast that we host that is about how it's an exploration of how games can be transformative or transformational. Um, today, we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to ask those questions. How are games transforming us? How do we know if that's real, if, if they are transforming us? And we want to hear from, from some of you because we, we concluded that we're not experts on this. We're really learning about that process, and everybody has a unique story about how games change them in some way. And before we start um, the rest of the panel, I want to embarrass Woody just really, really quickly. It's his birthday this weekend. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Thank you. I was going to tell anybody just how Just a old. day wiser. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't let you be the one who embarrasses him, though. Oh, yeah, no. true. Are you embarrassed enough? Huh? Am I red yet? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're right. well. We don't have to sing or anything. We're good. It's not that difficult. Okay. Okay. He's a ginger, so it's not that difficult to make him red. So. It's his default. Okay. All right. So my name is Josue Cardona. About six years ago, when I was a mental health counseling intern, I worked at a clinic in New Jersey, and I was working with, with kids. And kids love to play games, video games in particular, the kids I was working with. And, you know, that's the language that they speak. And I thought hey, what if I used games with them in therapy? I had some ideas. So I found out that the clinic I was working at had a Nintendo Wii. And I asked my supervisor, like, hey, I have some ideas. Can we talk about this? I would like to use them. She said, no, absolutely not. This is not appropriate. We cannot do that. So I did what anybody would do. I went home that night, and I made a website just to prove her wrong. And, and over the years, I've... Uh, created a network of different mental health professionals, and we have a few different podcasts. And I interviewed people who thought like I did or, or had similar ideas. And along the way, I met Mr. Woody Harris. So uh, the, the, uh, I'm Woody Harris. I'm a professional counselor in Atlanta. And I'm a board gamer, mostly by, by like my early history I was a board gamer, but I had no idea that I had a community to come home to. Um, and uh, a conglomeration of events happened, Hostway being a big part of those events, that uh, brought this podcast about because I was really interested. And I knew that I had had some personal experiences in which board games were changing me for the better. Like I was waking up in various situations realizing that, oh, that that event that happened in that game has been very changing to my way of dealing with things. And um, so am, am I talking about right now the, the origin of Rolling for Change? You can, yeah. Okay, sure, okay. It's your show. It looks like, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> so basically, um, the origin story of Rolling for Change is I, I had met a gentleman at Dragon Con. Anybody go to Dragon Con? Oh, well, okay, a few people. Um, I, I went down just for the first time ever to go to the, the board game section of Dragon Con, because I'd spent the whole time in Dragon Con just checking out panels and things. Um, and I met a gentleman down there that introduced me to Euro games. Had no idea what that was. I, I might have played a few, because I had had Catan. I had uh, uh, Robo Rally, but I just didn't know what that was. And after that, that was when the rock turned over and I found out there are tons of people in the Atlanta area, like we are saturated with gamers. 
it's very exciting because we're we're like hip deep in conventions in Atlanta right now. So if you're looking for like just a small game convention, we've got them in spades. Um, so I joined some game groups around town, and I went to one of them, and I was playing mostly light to medium weight games, never really played a heavyweight Euro. And uh, on the table in front of me was Trajan, and I had this is a big cube pusher game. I was pretty scared of it. Um, but I, I was willing to try, see what's going to happen. So I, I, I played through the game, and I hated it. It was terrible. <laughs> I had no love for Steffenfeld at the moment, but I, I walked out of there and I, I knew that all the people around me had gotten, they'd got a good time out of this. They had a great time playing Trajan. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Why don't I, why didn't I have a great time playing Trajan? And I had to do a lot of self-reflection to realize the reason I didn't enjoy it was because I had never had a game that I was presented so many choices in. And those choices made me like realize, okay, this is kind of how I react to any situation where I have too many choices. And the example I give is like going to the grocery store and seeing ketchup on the shelf and I've got to get ketchup and there's like 30 different bottles of ketchup and I'm trying to figure out which ketchup is the right ketchup for me. That was, that was my game of Trajan. And so it just kind of realized, okay, how do I change that experience? Well, I, what I have to do then is I have to change the way I deal with choices and change the way I deal with being placed in a situation of having to make choices to, to move along in my life. And so then the next logical step from that was, well, maybe other people are having these experiences also. And I would say in that same time period, I met Josue, not because he was, I didn't catch him because he was related to board games or even games at the time. He was, he was starting up his Geek Therapy podcast and maybe I listened to one with Travis Langley or with uh, the Comicspedia guy, Dr. O'Connor, um, which if you guys haven't checked out those episodes or those early episodes of, of uh, Geek Therapy, they're fantastic. Um, so I met Josue and started having really passionate conversations about what it is that we as geeks have to offer the culture as a whole and what our culture is like and its representation in our communities. And I was just getting really excited about what he was doing. I was just like, ah. Um, and uh, then and I my started... My answer to everything is start a podcast. Just start a podcast. Yeah, that, so, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how Host Way So Enlightened. He's got like six now, I think. Um, so yeah, it, out, out of conversations, I, I said, okay, let's... What I want to do is I want to talk to people about their experience of board gaming. Not so much from the clinical experience, even though I use board games in therapy, and I'm happy to talk about that, but more from the experience of how are games changing us as a people, whether it's in our culture here in, in a place like PAX or in the larger world? Because people out there are starting to know what board games are for a change. You know, Will Wheaton did his thing and a whole group of people followed him in and, and uh, now our, our game scene is going bigger and bigger. I'm not giving it all to Will, but things have gotten bigger. There's a PAX now dedicated just to just to board gaming. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and role-playing games. That's, that it's speaks huge. to the growth that we've experienced. So I knew that I wanted to catalog and understand people's experience with board games, and I wanted to talk with the designers about what they were doing in their games that were making the changes come to us. I wanted to talk to people who were using games in professional environments. I started out with the idea it was going to be therapeutic. Then I had my friend Brian, who is a, he was an educator. He is an educator. We were a teacher at the time. And uh, I thought, well, this could be bigger than just being therapeutic. This doesn't have to be about therapy and board games because when it comes down to clinical expertise and research, I'm not your guy. I didn't want to do that. So um, I decided to bring Brian aboard because he had the educational background. And I wanted to look at professional environments using games like business also, which I'm, 
still looking for more people to talk about that. But that was how Brian came along. Yeah, I want to start off by saying I love Trajan because from the first time I played it because I like good things. <laughs> I, I, yeah, fine. I'm the, I'm the smack talker of the podcast, so just, you know, accept that. Um, I met Woody through the, through the local Atlanta gaming scene, and um, we, we grokked each other almost immediately. Um, so whenever he started talking about making his podcast, um, I, started, I told him about not just therapy, but I've been using actual board games and RPGs in the educational setting. Um, I'm, I have a degree in English education. I've taught 10th and 12th grade, and God help me, 7th grade. Uh, yeah, yeah. How many of you guys have 7th graders or have had 7th graders? God bless you for surviving those years. If, and if you're in the middle of them, God help you four times. <laughs> yeah, I have four kids, and I've, I've been through all four of them going through 7th grade. And So anyway, I've used... Um, not just board games and role-playing games, but just the idea of gamifying um, the classroom. If, and if you're not really familiar with that, it's the idea of adding game theory to the classroom using something like um, Classroom Dojo, Classcraft, where kids get bonuses and incentives and achievements and experience points that they can then spend, well, that they can then spend to, you know, get extra grades on a, on a test or, you know, that sort of thing, um, or an exemption from homework for one day that they can turn in their experience points for. Um, I've used, um, there, there's a, in my senior class one year, I used uh, the, the poem by Robert Browning, Porphyria's Lover, and it sounds like it's the story of a guy who murders his lover. So I had a bunch of students who were um, reporters. I had one student I had set up as the defense attorney, one as the um, prosecuting attorney, and then I had their team who helped them do research. And I had witnesses for the prosecution, witnesses for the, for the defense, and they had to figure out how they were going to defend or you know, what kind of evidence they were going to produce. And I said, okay, there's no body. All you have is the evidence from this poem to either convict or acquit this particular guy. And the kids got so amazingly into it. I had three classes of kids who went through it, and it was or beautifully organized chaos the entire time. And I'm there with my Kennesaw State University graduation robe and a gavel, and you know, I'm at, at the lectern, boom, 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 calling order whenever they got out of hand, and they responded immediately to the guy in the robe with a gavel. Uh, whereas Mr. Peace, they didn't obviously re respond to that much, but Your Honor, total respect. So I, I debated actually wearing that robe every day in class and carrying the gown. It's like, I have the power. So that's, that's my history in this. And what he decided at, at that point, he's, he's like, would you be interested in talking about some of your educational experience with games? What the heck? Yeah. That's, what, that's why I like this group of people. We have a very diverse set of, of experiences and, and skills and, and background. And like for the gamification idea, I just helped a friend of mine who's a college professor gamify college course uh, uh, psychology 101. 
and like we can swap stories, right? There's all of these things that are just so so great when we bring games in. Uh, but when we started the podcast, I don't think it was clear what exactly Woody wanted to do. So there was one day when um, Woody had still a little gray. Yeah, it was it was about a three hour conversation. In the, yeah. It was like an existential crisis that we processed. <laughs> like, what is the show? What am I doing? What do I want to do? And the game transformational kept coming up. Like, uh, Woody kept saying, I, I feel like, you know, there is a change that can happen in the middle of a game. And, and how does that work? What, what is happening? And, and that's what I want the show to be about. So I think we'd recorded a few episodes by then. And then we, yeah. we were like focused, like, no, that's what we want to say. We're exploring what is transformational about games, how that happens. What's Not going on? all who wander are lost, though. You know this. <laughs> so, so we want to run through some examples, right? I think when we, we're probably preaching to the choir here, but a lot of people think of games just as, just as games and not that there's any redeeming qualities or anything that uh, is really changing about anyone who's, who's playing a game. And I think the, the easiest, like the, the first step to kind of have that conversation with anybody is through, through learning, right? So like... Um, Brian gave a really good example. I'm wondering, do you guys have any other examples of just like basic, something that people learned from playing a game that you might use an example to, to tell people? I mean, th there are granular ideas, like I can use dice and cards to teach probability. And I've done yeah. that. Um, I even had some students who I used um, Forbidden Island mm -hmm. to teach probability. You know, how many flood cards are in here right now? Okay, how many cards total are in the deck? What is your probability of getting a bad outcome? Oh, here's the first flood card. And there are this many cards out of the deck, this many cards left in the deck. What's your probability? And the kids who were behavioral disorder students were sitting down with paper and pencil and figuring out their probability because they really wanted to win this game. And I can get as granular as that, but there's also the idea of um, enhancing their learning by investing them in the learning by having those incentives, you know, the possibility of leveling up, the possibility of getting experience that they can spend on things that they really kind of want and investing them in each other because um, Classcraft has the idea of mana points which you can then spend if someone, um, if someone dies in the game they, they can get knocked out of the game by losing, by losing health points, which means they've done bad things in class. And if they have friends who are willing, they can spend their mana points instead of spending them on bonuses for themselves, spend mana points to heal them and bring them back, or give them the incentive by saying, no, you are a jerk. Why should I waste my points on you? And then they have to think about their actions a little bit more concrete. Mm -hmm than just, I might get in trouble. I might, I might lose my character, and then everybody's mad at me, and they might not resurrect me. And I might have to wait till tomorrow to get any benefits out of this, so. And I, and I can take, I feel like I've saturated stories with uh, Forbidden Island, but one of the early <laughs> memorable stories. So being a therapist, my, my goal was, uh, I, I, to be honest, I didn't plan to be a therapist ever. And I got into these environments where I was talking to kids about things, and, and I was a talk therapist, and they were really not interested in talking. So I, I came upon the realization, I need to engage these kids in some way that's going to be meaningful for them. And so I started bringing games in, particularly games that they'd never seen before, which was kind of cool, because now I'm bringing something brand new to their experience. 
but I started using Forbidden Island as a tool for developing communication skills between parents and their children because this is a perfect example of what is supposed to be a cooperative game and uh, people putting a competitive edge on top of it because maybe the kids don't understand the difference in cooperation and competition. You know, I want to win that particular chalice, I want to win that particular piece. Um, so don't communicate very well. And then after, the, you know, during the process, I'm just kind of being there, reflecting their experience. What are you going through? What's this like for you? Do you feel, you know, this is a conflict that's going on? Do you have other conflicts in your life that match this conflict? And then at the end, debriefing the game and talking about, well, okay, this was a communication skills building exercise. What would you do different next time? What did you learn about your experience? And, and uh, I, I remember one time, I worked with this sister and this brother. They couldn't, they couldn't get the idea that the cooperation was necessary. And I felt like I'd walked out of there and it's like, they didn't get cooperation. They didn't understand it. They just went back to fighting all the time. I came back the next week and uh, dad told me that they had been spending some time playing games th together this week and they hadn't been doing that. So just one moment that became a breakthrough for these kids. It was fantastic feeling. Um, so there, there are so many things you can do with games. And I would say, you know, outside of the very concept of game, you can take any particular game and adapt it to your purposes for therapy, for business, for education, in whatever way you want to. Yeah, one of my favorite examples is I was teaching a high school class, and it was at a school where pretty much every kid had some sort of diagnosis, some mental health diagnosis. And there was a lot of anxiety around tests. That's something that's not, you know, unheard of. And these kids, you know, they were learning the material, but once a test came, they just, they were not doing it. So I added a lot of game elements to the course. And one of the things that I did was I gave them infinite lives. So when they had to take a test, they were, I wanted to remove the, the fear of failing that test. So I was like, hey, if you finish the test and you don't do well, you can just take it over again. And what ended up happening was that most of the kids never used another life. They were just so relaxed when they took the test that all the grades pretty much across the board went up. And they were able to realize and, and learn that, oh, my anxiety is actually, like, that's what's happening. I'm not stupid. I'm actually, I have this disorder, and, and it's, it's hard for me to deal with these tests. And now I understand the concept a lot better. So there's, there's so many things we can do in, in education. Uh, how about relationships? That's a big one. Uh, well, so I talked a little bit about the family therapy aspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so there is a, a young man I worked with who was, he was not a gamer in any sense. And um, I introduced him to the world of board games, one board game at a time. Every session became a new board game and he was getting more and more excited. And uh, he was kind of a, a recluse of a kid. He didn't really like to be with people a lot. And uh, after we've gone through our course of therapy, you know, in terms of building socialization skills and building the possibility of, of connecting with other people in a better way, I found him suddenly going to my game groups <laughs> and suddenly being in this world of people that I was already sort of discovering myself. And uh, I, I could see that, that, like, if you looked at him, you know, Brian used the word earlier, maybe not in this podcast, but we were talking um, about leveling up. I could see that he had leveled up. I could see kind of a glow to him now. He's not as dull anymore. He's kind of getting excited about things in his life. He's taken a turn in his life just because I introduced board games to him. I mean, hopefully it had something to do with my therapy too, but I think the board game was the catalyst for it. Well, I talk a lot in the podcast about um, how I tend to lose games more often than not. Um, it's a fact. My wife tends to tends to win, his wife tends to win. We're hoping to come in a healthy second or third. Um, but really a lot of my problem with, with winning games is I'm not especially competitive. I'm trying to win the game, I really am. But I use games 
as a framework for socializing. I'm sitting playing the game, and instead of really paying deep attention to what the other people are doing, I'm chatting when it's not my turn. And I'm, I have a friend who um, is on the autism spectrum, and when we get together to sit down and talk, he has a game with him every single time. And he doesn't understand the idea, well, he, do, he does understand it, but he doesn't like it. The idea of being together in a social situation and not playing a game. He's really uncomfortable with sitting in a coffee house and just having coffee and maybe a pastry and talking. He just, it, it's outside of his, and he's really comfortable as long as he has a game in between us for us to play while we're going. So we humor him, especially whenever we really, really just have something we want to seriously talk about. Okay, well, let's go ahead and break out the game because we know that he, he needs that for that, he needs that framework. Or what, um, what I've read in um, an educational study was called the magic circle. This magic circle where you can do and say things that you normally wouldn't do and say. Like our last episode that we just recorded but we haven't posted yet about smack talk. It's really can, a, an episode about Twilight and My wife sure. and I, the first time, when Woody and I first met me, when Woody, when, when, Woody Woody. And my first, when Woody and I first gamed, I mean, um, my wife was in the game, and me and, and my wife and I, we say terrible things to each other in the games. Words that in this public setting I probably shouldn't say out loud. Um, and, you know, we threaten each other in the game, and Woody thought, oh, these two are not These guys are last. falling apart. These two are falling apart. <laughs> this marriage and, is going nowhere. Now he understands that we have a relationship where that's the way we interact in a game. And if he can just get us really seriously sniping at each other, he has a chance to Go beat around, my wife at the game. Pick up the points. Because my wife will do something, I'll say, oh, oh, that's how you're going to, okay, now it's on. It's on, and I'm going to destroy you. And she says, oh, you're going to destroy me. I'm going to eat your soul. <laughs> and then Woody's like, just going to go here, and they're going to... Oh, look, Brian's trying to destroy Ginger. Oh, I'm just going to go here, and... Is that 25 oh. victory points? <laughs> so th there's that aspect of it, too, where you have that relationship where you can say things that... If I told my wife outside of a game the things that I said to her inside of a game... We would have a real problem, but he understands now that if we're not sniping at each other in a game... That's when the real problem exists. We're probably really arguing. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> as, as a kid, most of my... Maybe my, my favorite memories are all game-related, and I have friendships or, or relationships with family members that were defined by those gaming experiences. Like, I remember my, my grandfather passed away a few years ago, but all we did was play games. When I think about him, I think about how we played, um, I was born in Puerto Rico, so we'd play in Puerto Rico. We'd play dominoes, we'd play these Spanish cards, and it was something so, so special, and I learned a lot from him, and I could tell, like, he respected me a little more if I had a good play, and he was really proud of me. And there were so many things that kind of went unsaid, but were also said because of games, because we were able to have those experiences. And, and I have stories like that with my mom and my dad and my sister, and they're, they're so important to me. So to me, uh, when, when I, I meet new people or I have friends, like gaming is such a, such a big part of it, not just to, to make friends, but like, like Brian is, is describing this, 
you're playing out these relationships through games in a certain way that, that I don't think that maybe a lot of people don't, don't think about, right? But it's, it's such an important part. And, and I think there's a quick moment to like, how do you, how do you guys, or when did you notice that that was an important part of your relationships? I've always been aware of that. No. Um, ever since my first time, I started off in role-playing games. And again, a lot of the people I played with were what I called socially dysfunctional. Um, ex to, to an extreme extent, some of them were like toxic kind of people. And I, as the game master, utilized that to teach them lessons. Like one of my, um, one of my players, um, he did not... He, he wasn't overt in it, but he had kind of his disdain for, for females. And he had a girlfriend in the game. And he was trying to be the macho guy. And he was going off on a dangerous mission. And he, and he said, um, he said, woman, stop. And I, as his girlfriend, and I, I'd been married for years, I said, oh, woman, stop. Oh, okay. And this was a game of Werewolf the Apocalypse. She took out her, her dagger and threw it down at his feet and challenged him to a fight. And, and he won, and she made him feel that big for beating her up. And he, it, if you've ever played Werewolf the Apocalypse, if someone challenges you to a fight, you actually have to do your best to win. It's not like he was abusing her. She challenged him to the fight, and they were, they were not man and woman anymore. They were pack members who were honor-bound to do their best to fight. And he tried his best to beg off the fight, and she shamed him there. And then he won the fight, and she shamed him at that. And at the end of the game, he came back and said, there was no way I was going to win that argument, was there? I said, <laughs> I said lear, lear, if you learn nothing about women, the minute you demean them, and they have a spark of fight in them, you are not winning that argument ever. You have just lost the fight the minute you opened your mouth. So don't demean any of the girls that you date because that would be a bad thing. And he got to be an adult and he actually got married and that was, yay, happily ever after. And I take full credit <laughs> for the fact he found someone and dated them and successfully got them to agree to marry him. That's all on me. <laughs> You know, that moment at the end, right, where he, like, reflected on what was happening. We've talked about how we have these experiences in games, and then we don't have a time to process afterwards. Like, that's a therapist in us talking, right? Like, well, let's yeah. process the experience that you just had. But we, we've talked about how important it can be to then sit down afterwards and talk about what happened in the game to kind of learn something from it. I think it's really important, and it's, it's one of the ways that we can really notice and kind of, and, like, having another person kind of show us and, and bounce mm -hmm. off the idea so we can see, like, what, what just happened? You know, like so what I think happened just happened. I don't know. This is uh, so in trying to break down the experience and trying to understand what games are doing to us. Um, uh, you know, I, I felt like I wanted to put this plug in for uh, Philip Pullman. Anybody read Philip Pullman? Yeah, okay. I, I really encourage you all to read Philip Pullman's His Dark Material series, Golden Compass, uh, Subtle Knife, Amber Spyglass. But there's something that one of the characters says about an, an item in the, game, in the book that's basically, things have a purpose in themselves that is not necessarily communicated by the designer, not even necessarily known by, by the people that 
think they understand the thing. So what I wanted to I can kind of do is get into what is the game itself doing. And the, the problems we have in our, our gaming lives is that we get immersed in the game world. We go through the experience without self-reflection whatsoever. And we, game over, box up, let's go find another game. There's no, no discussion, no processing like you were talking about. And so I was thinking about, well, so we're talking about, we're trying to tell people games are transformative and that we're still looking for the, the genetic elements of well, what makes games transformative. And so my current thesis, and I expect it'll change as time goes on, but my current thesis is that it's the, the self-reflection that goes on within the game that makes it transformative. The reason Trajan was such a big deal for me was because I had a self-reflection moment where I, I went back and said, this did something. But if we're just like going through a game and said, that is a terrible game, and we didn't, didn't look back and start to talk to ourselves about what it was that made that game a terrible game for us, especially when it's highly taunted by other people, uh, <laughs> Listen to the latest episode whenever it gets posted. There's, there's a history here. Sure there is. Um, so then I, I thought, well, how are we going to teach people how they can have these experiences in board games? How many people in here would say that board games have transformed their life in some way? Yeah, I would, I would hope it would be everybody. Um, and you may not even be able to point to the exact experience or the exact moment where you realized it. And I think there's probably um, a cadre of people who are not even realizing what board games are doing. They're just going to the store, buying games, and putting games on their shelves, playing games when they can. It seems to me that there's going to have to be a kind of uh, mindfulness we come to the board game with. Um, we're all immersed in our experience until things break down. And um, this is kind of a Heideggerian concept, and I'm not going to talk about Heidegger because I, I don't understand him. I don't know if he understood him. But basically, we are with things until things fall apart. And when things fall apart, that's our chance to have a bell of mindfulness. Bell of mindfulness is a Thich Nhat Hanh concept where it's basically something that wakes you up in the world and reminds you that you're here, you're existing, this is now, and, and takes you away from all of the kind of immersion that's going on, all the suspension of disbelief. So we need to build those things into our game process. We need to recognize that when we start to have a breakdown, like rules break down, because we all know that you got that rule wrong or you got that rule wrong. That is a common experience in gaming, no matter how, like you could play a game for 10 years and be like, somebody came along and said, no, no, look, it says in the book right here. Uh, that's the moment that you can take a breath and say, okay, this is a time to be mindful of what's going on in the board game. We want to be immersed because, like especially with a role-playing game, you want to be the character that you are. But if there's no self to look back and say, this is what's happening in my experience, then you might walk away without having the transformative benefit of the game that you're, you're working through. So this is kind of an ongoing topic for me, and I, don't, I haven't really gotten an answer yet, but my goal is to collect people's experiences and identify the elements in those experiences so we can say, point to, these are the change moments, these are the things that happen, these are the rules of it. The, the last kind of set of examples that we, we want to give are, are related to personal growth and and. Like sometimes that happens in isolation too. Actually, um, these, and these are also, I think these are universal concepts, right? It doesn't matter what language you speak, where you are. I was once giving a, a geek therapy presentation in Colombia in the, the country. And after the presentation, I, someone came up to me and said, you know what you're saying is absolutely right. I, I used to play the JRPG Persona and I was, a, I was a loner. I didn't like to spend time with people. I was always alone. And then I... I was playing the game, and I realized, and it's a it, JRPG uh, persona, it's about uh, relationships. You're constantly talking to people, and like in a lot of RPGs. And 
he told me, you know, at some point I realized that I couldn't move past the point where I was if I didn't speak to another character. And then I realized that every other character had something that I could gain from talking to them. And then I started to think, and he's like telling me this process that he, that he went through on his own sitting uh, in his room with his controller. And he said, it completely changed my life because now I know how to make friends and now I know how to talk to people. And I know that uh, having relationships with people is not a bad thing and that it can be a good thing, just like it was in the game. And that's kind of like my favorite example of someone like really, really growing and, and changing. And, and it actually happened on their own, right? And, and I don't think that the game designers designed the game for that purpose. Right? No, the game has its own purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't designed to like show people, you know. Go, it, it's about ghosts and stuff. It's like it's definitely not educational. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you no, guys have examples of? But it's self it's self educational. Yeah. So you're asking for examples of uh, personal growth, growth right. personal yeah, yeah. growth. Yeah. So uh, yeah. rolling for changes is pretty much an episode of personal growth every time for me. Mm -hmm. um, it's completely autobiographical for my part. Um, my growth comes in. Uh, well, you know, you mentioned the the podcast we we just recorded, and it's it's rather telling about who I am, but. Um, Personal growth has come from me in games in the sense that I've, I've walked away and I've said, okay, how could I have made that relationship better? What could I have done to make this, game, make this game better for myself, better for other people? What did I get from my experience of the game? And the answers that come from that question are the things that have kind of pushed me forward and said, okay, you need to be more assertive with people. You need to state your purpose more clearly. You need to not self-disparage, which I promise you I was doing a lot before I got up here on, on the stage because I... Self-doubt happens, you know. Um, so I've kind of used board games to catalyze growth in the sense that, I, I mean, I'm reaching out to however many people are here now. And, and 10 years ago, I, I, you know, I might have been standing on a stand in a college where I'd be, like, shaking right now, and I'm not shaking at all. So there's the growth for me is, is that, you know, I, I reach out to people, and I create communities around me. And that, that's the most exciting thing is for me to, to be involved with other people. So that, that, that's, a, that's me personally growing. And I couldn't point to any one personal board game and say that board game was the one that did it. But as a collection, as a whole, as my experience in conventions gets bigger, uh, I find myself becoming more confident in myself, more assertive, and that's, that's the personal growth for me. Yeah, there was an instance, um, just to give you a very specific example, how many of you guys have ever heard of a card game called Bad Habit? <laughs> a couple of you. All right, this game is about self-harm. It's not, it's not un unlike you know, games like Lunch Money, it's not joking about it. It's about the things that lead to self-harm. You have a hand of cards, and you're going to very generally give a statement about something that's, um, that's causing you emotional distress. And the other players have to come up with the specific card that's in your hand that's causing this. But you don't just say, I think you have this card. You say, I, I understand that you, you may be feeling um, a bit depressed right now. And da, da 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 And they'll give you some positive affirmation. Then you lay down your depressed card. And that means, yes, I've, I've managed to overcome. Managed to, this is not going to cause me to self-harm today. Someone if helped you cope with a trigger. Yeah. If they don't, you put your hand in a bag and draw out a stone. If it's a white stone, you put it down in front of you. This is how it works, right? I'm yeah, trying to this is how it works. If you pull out a red stone, it means that 
not only did it not help, but you did go in self-harm. And once you the get worst so case many, scenario, basically. Yeah, once the worst case scenario. Once you get so many red stones, you're hospitalized. That's one red point. stone. One red stone. One red stone, and you're hospitalized. You're dead. You're, you're out of the game. Because uh, <laughs> it's non—it's non-suicidal self-injury. But the 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 thing that he wanted to make sure that happened was there was a moment where the game would end because one suicidal self, one non-suicidal self-injury too far, and it's over. It's yeah. no longer non-suicidal. And as I was playing this game, we were just trying it out. And, playing it at this game convention, which was a really interesting thing because we're playing this at a table in the middle of a game hall. <laughs> and there are people coming by going, what the heck are you people playing? Game about self-harm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in, in the midst of this game, I said something that was intended to be comforting. And in the you guys ever had that moment where in the middle of a sentence... Your brain says, don't finish that sentence. Don't finish that sentence. And you finish it because your brain wasn't loud enough. And you think, that was the wrong thing to say. I just said something that's not helpful at all. And Woody and the other person at the table went, oh, no, don't, don't. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. Holy crap. And it was that learning moment of, okay, if I'm ever faced with a situation like this where I have a friend who's self who potentially self-harming, who is damaging themselves in some way. That's an example of what not to say. I learned something today. So that was my very specific ex example of that. Yeah, and, and that's a game designed specifically to talk about those topics, right? And, and they, don't, they don't have to be, right? It can come from, from anywhere, but game designers are also working on this, and it's one of the things that we want to do on the show, and we actually did a whole episode on bad habit, which, yeah. which went really deep on, on, on the topic. Um, so, so, Woody, I want you to go back to what you were saying about building a community and, and hearing other people's stories and that. Okay, so this is what it comes down to. Uh, you guys all raised your hand when you said you had a transformative experience in a board game. I want to collect those experiences. I want to know people's lived experience of board gaming. And, and so there's a sense that I, I want to invite people to tell me their stories. I want if I'm going to collect these, and I want to expose them to our larger audience so that people can say, oh yeah, that, these things are happening, and they're happening in droves. And so I guess my call is for people to, to ask us questions, to tell us stories, to come along for the ride because we're building a community. It doesn't have to be a community of providers. It doesn't have to be therapists. It doesn't have to be businessmen. I want to have everybody on board for us to all kind of collectively say, yay board games, these things, yay RPGs, these things are doing amazing things to us. Yay video games. Games as a whole are taking us somewhere, and if we can have the mindfulness to do it, then we can do it. Do we so, have a mic? What's that? Do we have a mic? That is a good question. We don't. There was a mic. Yeah, yeah, they'll get it. Okay, we, we do have a mic. We have a, a gentleman back here. So if people would like to ask questions or present their stories, I'd be really excited to hear stories about change in board games. Um, and if we, if we get to the end and you guys still have things you want to talk about, then we can find a place somewhere outside, upstairs, somewhere that we can talk. Because anybody who wants to talk to us, I'm really excited. to. I mean, I'm just excited to be at PAX. In, in the time that I've been here, I have talked to mental health professionals. I have talked to people at Child's Play. I have talked to game designers. Everybody excited about this idea that we can use board games to change us. And they don't have to be therapy games, which are scary sometimes. I mean, bad habit excluded maybe. But... Um, this has been amazing. I've never been to a PAX before. Um, and the community here is just really welcoming and exciting. And I want everyone in the world to know about it. So 
I think Max is going places. Tell stories. Um, yeah. I, I guess um, we're having trouble with the mic. So if you want to come up here and ask Yeah, question, we could do it that we way. We can just do it with this mic. Anybody we have any questions? We can or share a story. Questions, yeah. comments, et cetera? Yeah. Just form a little line. So uh, what games would you say should be like in a starter set for a therapist? If you're wanting to use board games and things, what games would you say you've got to have these ones in your repertoire? Um, absolutely, we've already we've already discussed this before. Um, we, we've already said that you know, uh, Forbidden Island's a good one. It's it's a very simplistic version of say Pandemic, but one of the things I've seen is that stu some of my students who I actually used the game with, um, four students, I was sub substitute teaching and the teacher didn't have anything special planned, and it was at the end of the school year, so. There was, I, I didn't know what was going on, so I just jumped in and um, ran them through the game, and I found out these behavioral disorder students, or students with behavioral disorders, they didn't understand the concept of cooperation. They could cooperate to a point, but they, you know, each one of them wanted to be the one who got the idol. And they soon realized that if they tried to be, you know, very, specific about wanting each individual idol, they were gonna lose. They had to let someone else win the thing because if they didn't let someone else win a minor victory, they'd lose the, big, they'd lose the war. So, uh, obviously not heavy Euros, but I would say the games that you're passionate about because if you can take the elements apart in the game and identify the spaces that are, are meaningful, like you can, you can change a game to match the needs of a child or family or person that you're working with and still keep the game alive. So what, the, what that person's interested in is really important, I think. You know, so if, if I had to say that there's a, a collection of games that I use on a regular basis, I, I wouldn't be able to point to it very easily except to say that I, I think I've played Batman Love Letter more than possibly any other game in the world. Um, Hanabi works really well as a family communication game. Um, Uno, because you can take that concept of, of playing a wild card or a skip card and, and use those moments as, well, this means this. When you skip me, you have to tell me a reason why I would be skipped. You have to give me some reason why um, you're, you're feeling more important than me right now. Whatever it's going to be to kind of break down the experience of the game and turn it into a, a talking point. Oh, and Suro and Suro of the Seas. Suro and Suro of the Seas, yeah. Yeah, yeah bringing your own insights as the, as the educator or, or therapist, I, mean, I think, is incredible. But I, I start with asking my clients what games they like. You because they have their own insights about their own experiences. So, and if there isn't a specific game that they like, maybe of the ones that I have, the one that they think is the coolest. So at least there's some, some excitement about trying out the game and playing it. And then we see where it goes from there. Yeah. Yeah. And if you like the game, and they like the game, and you both know the game, magic happens. It is, it is the so. best. Yeah. I think so. Thank you for the question. Hello. Good Hello. Uh, morning. <laughs> still yes. morning, yep. yes. All right. Thank K44 you for being here at 10 o'clock. <laughs> so um, I was playing Pathfinder with my favorite GM. And he asked what seemed to be one of those tricky questions, because he had that little bit of a smile on his face, which was, what's the hardest level for your character to get to? And I pondered it, but I threw out what seemed like the most obvious answer, which was level 20. And he said to me, no, it's level one. 
because your character has had an entire life leading up to their first level. And you might not write a backstory, you might not even think about it that often, but even like a human has probably gone through 20 years or an elf has gone through 200 years just to come to the point where you're playing them. And that opened my eyes up to the fact that it's kind of like any day could be your first level. Yeah. Or yeah. any time could be when you've come to the new point. And I, I thought about that a lot over the years. And I think that the general impression I've gotten is that you can choose what's your first level and you can kind of choose how you're going to expand past that. And that was very important to me. Yeah. Oh, thank you That's so much awesome for that story. story. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It was good. Thank you. Hi, good morning. Hey. When I was about 12, I saw the World Series of Poker on TV for the first time, and I was fascinated by it and fascinated by how these people did it. So that led me to studying the basics of poker, the basics of probability and game theory, and also the mindset of it, the um, differences between process-oriented thinking versus results-oriented thinking. And all of these tools together, all these concepts from the age of about 12 uh, combined to give me a very important framework for thinking through decisions and life in general. And I think knowing how, like learning in that context to make those decisions at that age really helped me through some issues. I had severe anger issues as a kid, helped me be able to make better decisions and cope with it. And so I think that was very important to me. And Ever since then, playing more board games growing up, uh, I've always taken that same framework, and every game is a new opportunity to practice those from a new angle and just kind of grow a little bit more from there. Yeah. So that's my story. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's no, so awesome. exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love, like, games like poker, right? Like, think, people think, like, oh, poker, you can't learn anything from poker. Like, you have no idea what, what insight people are going to gain from the experience that they're having. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Hey, man. Uh, hi. Um, so, I guess my experience for, um, like, how games have transformed me is, um, well, it started when I uh, arrived at college. I played a few board games, but it was just, like, the basic stuff, like, you know, like, sorry and stuff like that. But then uh, I had a roommate that had just a treasure trove of games. So, basically... Um, I was exposed to like a mixed bag of games and um, I'm an artist and I was already like a creative person but it like blew my mind of like how creative you can be with like games. So especially with the art too. Um, so I just like continue to expose myself to like different games and now I'm trying to make my, uh, a game myself. Awesome. Uh, Excellent. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like it just like uh, just expound on my like creative habits, and it also increased my like uh, confidence. I think, uh, like, just of like, I guess like meeting people, talking with people, stuff like that. Like, I wouldn't even be talking like right here okay. <laughs> if it wasn't yeah. for stuff like that. So, yeah, that's my experience. Thank you. Thank you Great. so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing. Hi there. Uh, Hi. So my name is Steve, and. Uh, for most of the last few decades, I've actually been a, a high school teacher and uh, often gamified my cur curriculum, so I'm a math and computer science teacher. Yeah. Um, actually, until this year, I actually returned to grad school to study gamification at the high awesome. school level. Awesome. Um, 
at, at some point, maybe uh, offline, I can share some of the stuff that I've done in, in my classroom. I'd like to hear would more details to. about what yeah, we do. Yeah, would love to talk do. to you about it. Um, in particular, one thing, and I, I think, uh, Ryan, you'd mentioned you had done English courses before. I was wondering if you're familiar with uh, uh, a game called Reacting the Past. Uh, reacting to the past, I think. No, for I you. Heard of that it's one. sort of an RPG that they, all the students play together where you're uh, doing various things through history. There's like the trial Galileo, and they each take different parts, and there's oh, the Scopes cool. Monkey trial. And they just, it's mostly for history and English stuff. But, yeah. um, the stuff for math is sort of few and far between, which is why now I'm trying to develop stuff and study uh, that. Uh, in any case, I thought I would also share a little quick personal story about how games have transformed me. I guess there's been various times, but in particular, my earliest memory of this happening, I was probably 12 or 13 years old, and D&D uh, had just come out, and was trying to get my father we was, like, to play this game with us. It was me and my brother and my friends, and I guess he was a very busy man, so he was like, you know, no, no thanks, you kids have fun. And then uh, one day we had a little sleepover at one of my friend's houses, and my friend's like, hey, Dad, why don't you come and play D&D with us? And he's like, sure. And he did, and, you know, he had a great time, I guess. And uh, anyway, I went home and told my mother about how Jeff's dad had played D&D with us. And she's like, okay, you know, that's very interesting. And the next day, I guess she communicated to my dad. My dad came up. He's like, hey, uh, how about I play D&D with you guys? Oh, and awesome. I guess the first time I sort of became aware that um, parents have feelings too and that he actually wanted to be <laughs> yeah. involved uh, yeah. Yeah. in our lives. Yeah. So not so much about the game per se, but just that was a, but a, the connections you a make personal the growth for me to sort of realize about yeah. my parents in that way. Yeah, yeah. thank awesome. you for sharing. Thank you so much, yeah. Awesome. It's church, like I said, it's church now. Hi, I'm Joe. Thank um, you, Joe. Uh, I'll share a personal growth story. And, it actually goes over a very long time. My, my father would play board games with us, as I'm sure many of us did have our earliest board game memories with parents. Um, my father would like to play chess with me, and I'd play chess with him every now and again, and my wife will tell you she's still a way better chess player than I am. Um, but a lot of the same lessons that, that went along with that, so strategy, forward thinking, uh, you know, uh, spatial recognition, and being mm -hmm. able to understand where you are in that board and what to do next, uh, I held closer to my heart a, a game we played a lot called Cathedral. And we played that a lot growing up. And he, he would always ask me, it was really on like Saturday afternoons that I would, I would go down and get the game and bring it up and play it. So that's where I got a lot of those lessons. So you can kind of take those same concepts and you can get it through many different games. Mm -hmm. A lot of people got them through chess, I, I got them through Cathedral. Um, so it was those lessons that I took with me as I grew up. and. Um, as he was passing and then we, we took things out of the house, I, I made sure I rescued that, that game in particular and I, I, I still have it and I still hold it very close to my heart. Um, and it actually helps me not only to remember those lessons that he taught me, but, and, and my wife will also tell you that it, it does help me mentally just still coping with the, with the death of my father because that, that does happen. He passed a little over four years ago. Uh, but playing that game also helps me to remember him and to keep him alive. And she hates playing that game with me because I never go easy on her. And I, I, I beat her almost every time. But she's, he, no, because he never went easy on me. And that was okay. another one of the big lessons that he taught me was that he never went easy on me. So I had to keep getting better in order to eventually beat him. And now she's getting better 
the more that I play with her. So that, that's another way that that helps me as well. Wow, awesome. thank awesome. you so much for sharing. Thank you. So I'm also an educator. I'm in my second year as a science teacher at an urban, very urban school district. Um, and the biggest challenge I found doing that is just getting the kids that I work with, I have a lot of students that are ESL, I have a lot of students that have IEPs, um, and I have a lot of students that just school is not the place for them. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I've learned that they needed is a sense of agency that they're, um, that they're like good at stuff because they yeah. are mm -hmm. terrible at everything. Um, so I, and I teach science, so there are a lot of things to figure out. There are a lot of, I've, a lot of the lessons I teach, they're puzzles. Um, they have pieces to, with pieces that they're manipulating. Um, and that has been really great for them. Like we just finished our first term and now my kids want to be in my classroom. So now we can learn. Um, oh, wow. So I've been using like puzzle and game elements in the classroom um, and I'm very interested in learning more about that. As far as for my own self, games as a transformative experience, I, six years ago, I was in a violent, abusive relationship and I still had my game group um, that I would always play with. And what was really interesting was I couldn't tell my friends what was happening. I didn't know how. Um, but the character I played was unlike anything else. She was everything I wasn't at the time. She was like this, it was like a sci-fi um, world. And she was this like huge monster creature that was like really powerful, very empowered when I wasn't. And my friends noticed that. And it got to a point where the guy I was with um, like would call me while I was with my friends. I was like, I can't leave. And they wouldn't let me leave. Um, being in that group helped me get out of a relationship like that and it led me to the path that I am on now. And it's awesome. <laughs> that game is really good for me. So yeah. thank you for letting me share this experience. Thank you. Oh, for thank you for sharing. Thank, thank you so much. much. All right, good morning. Um, two, three stories based on an, in, as I'm an introvert and an educator as well. Um, I've been playing World of Warcraft for about eight years now. Um, and I was able to get into games based on that. And as an introvert, it let me still communicate and talk while still being alone, not near anyone. And then about a year ago, this local game cafe, board game cafe opened up where I was and we checked it out and we started going, going, and now it's at the point where even if I've had a long day, I'd still rather go there and play games and have fun with the friends that I've made there that I wouldn't have been able to do if, I ha if we hadn't started going there. And then I am a K through three elementary librarian. Last year I had a lot of issues with kids not returning the books, this mm. and the other thing. But this year I started making a school-wide challenge so every time an entire class I'll remember their books, I'd put a sticky note up, up on the board, I'd make a big deal of it, and they're trying to earn a end of the year reward for the class that has returned their most books. And I know that there's one class where there's a lot of different personalities, a lot of issues. They, they're not, they're, they're a tough class. But I think they were one of my first classes to get that sticky note up on the board. And I've just been having a lot more success with them that I think they've been having with um, some of the other specialist teachers. 
Yeah, you so gamified the environment. That's fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so I think we can, I think we can take maybe one more question. I'm I'm sorry, Let's sir, if we don't get to got, you. Yeah, we got four we got four minutes, yeah, yeah. yeah we got oh we four can minutes. we can yeah, make yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, so I just had a quick story about um, personal growth in terms of games and uh, so I started playing D&D about three years ago um, and we were in this campaign that ended up lasting for like two and a half years uh, so I'm very attached to this character now um, but this was pretty early on in the in the campaign that we met this particular character that we didn't know it at the time, but it was gonna turn out to be kind of the big baddie at the end of this entire thing. And he was just an asshole. <laughs> like, I just hated him. And uh, it actually prompted the first fight between me and my boyfriend because my boyfriend was the DM and was running this NPC. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I was not fond of this character. But the, the thing that happened was that this character like made a deal with us to like he would give us some books that we were looking for for like whatever um, if we went out and did this thing for him. So we went out and did the thing and came back and he stiffed us on one of the books. And like he just wouldn't give us the entire list of books that we had agreed on in advance. Uh, and I had written down because I'm neurotic. And, uh, and so I just got so pissed. I was like, you are stiffing us on this. I don't, like, you, how can you call yourself an honorable person? Like, I just went off. And that was when the fight started. Uh, <laughs> so afterwards, um, we were talking about it because obviously, like, this turned into an actual thing between me and my boyfriend for a minute. And so we were trying to actually, like, we actually had that moment where we, sat down and thought about the game and thought about why I reacted so strongly to this relatively minor incident. Um, and, we, and, and it kind of prompted this realization where it was like, oh, I'm really, like it's justice is really important to me. Like it's a main core thing of my personality is that, you know, justice and it, things should be fair and things should be right. And when it's not, I just explode. And it just kind of was like an aha moment looking mm -hmm. back at everything in my life and going, oh, that's why I was so angry for all of my teenage years. <laughs> so you should so. typically play lawful characters is what you're saying. Oh, uh, well, I typically play uh, actually chaotic, chaotic, but I play good characters. Good characters. Yeah, good. yeah. Okay. so even if I have to kill someone to do the right thing, chaotic that's what's going works. to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, paladins, bards, it's great. <laughs> but that was, that was a, a really... Um, like a really interesting moment for me because like up to that point I had no real touchstone for why I was getting angry at the things I would get angry at and then this game came along and you know prompted a really strong reaction from me that caused me to sit down and go okay what's the common denominator here mm -hmm. so yeah. that was that was just uh, something that popped into my head when you were talking thank about you yeah thank you yeah, that's awesome. yeah. those aha yeah. moments are important yeah. Hello, and thanks for coming. Uh, this is a story from over a decade ago. I was a very competitive gamer. I played games since I can remember. And back then I was dating and I was at this 
person's house and their siblings are there and you know I'm trying to make a good impression and they bust out Monopoly. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm the gonna destroy the them in this game. I'm a, I'm a gamer, you know, more than all of them put together, right? <laughs> and we played and it got to some point where they did a move and I don't even remember what it was. It might have been something like, oh, I need to sell back this house because obviously I'm winning. So they're, you know, bankrupting and selling their houses. And they take out the full amount worth of the house from the bank. And I'm like, oh, no, this is wrong. You know, you, you, you took too much money. Uh, you only get half for what you paid for the house. And they said, oh, yeah, but that's not how we play. And, and I said, well, it, it's the rules. That it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how you play. You know, I said, <laughs> that's the rules how this game works. And I said, yeah, but, but that's how we play. Uh, and, and it turned into this giant argument. And, and I am not a, like a person who's very you know, into confrontation or anything like that. But I felt so in the right. I felt like... Let's find the rules. Oh, you don't have the booklet. I'm going to Google it. You know, I'm going to show you. And then we're going to play this game right. You know? And, 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 and it was the biggest fight I ever had with this person. Wow. And uh, it wasn't violent or anything. It was just really intense. And it made me realize both that uh, games aren't about winning. And it totally flipped me from being a competitive player to being a very casual person who just you know, doesn't care about winning at all. And I just enjoy the social aspect of, of board gaming. Yeah. And it also made me um, appreciate games for that much more than uh, than what I thought was just kind of a pastime, right? I realized, wow, this is really a social setting, and it really doesn't mm -hmm. matter how you play as long as you have fun. Yeah. So that you know, really affected how uh, I turned out, I guess. And I'm a game designer now, and it you know really oh, wow. changed everything. So. <laughs> awesome. Cooperative games, right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you Thank so much. You. All right, so thank you, everybody. Uh, you can find us at Rolling for Change or at Geek Therapy for a full network of uh, podcasts, more conversations like this. Before everyone goes, people have told some very personal stories here, yeah. and I really appreciate that. But we are a podcast, so we, uh, our hope is to put these in our podcast. So if you're not okay with that and you presented yeah. something, then please let us know, because I don't want to betray anyone's. You know, This is a very intimate audience. I don't want to betray your feeling of safety. So if you feel like you don't want us to record that or don't want us to broadcast that, please let us know. It's very important. Yeah, good point. Yeah, all right. That's all for us. Thank, right. you, Thank guys. you so much. Thank you so much for coming out. I really appreciate you guys. You have been listening to Rolling for Change, a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. This has been Episode 15, live from PAX Unplugged. For more great shows from the Geek Therapy Network, point your browser to geektherapy.com. If you'd like to contact us with stories, events, ideas, suggestions, etc., we would be very happy to hear from you. You can email us at gamers at rollingforchange.com or reach out to us via Twitter. We are at RollForChange or at Therapy hashtag RFC. Our theme music was created by Rocket Scientists. For more of their great music, check out thetank.com. Thanks so much for listening. More episodes are coming soon. Keep on rolling for change.